Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the penultimate. Is that correct? The penultimate Sully Baseball Daily podcast on April 1st, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. This is not an April Fool's Day joke. I am indeed going to have my final episode of the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast will be tomorrow, April 2nd, 2017. I hate April Fool's Day anyway. Uh, first of all, April 1 is my grandfather's birthday. Uh, he passed away. I never knew my grandfather. He died before I was born. But uh, it's his birthday. He was born. Uh, David J. Sullivan Sr. was born in April 1st, 1903. And uh, I believe Salem, Massachusetts was the place where he was born. Um, so I- I'd like to think that if uh, my grandpa Sullivan, who I never knew, wherever he is, is enjoying this podcast. I'm going to be doing, this is the final a uh, full episode that I'm doing of the teams that should have won uh, part of the series. I'm going to continue doing the teams that should have won as a segment of the new weekly podcast that's going to start on the 6th of April. That'll be episode one of the Sully Baseball, of, of podcast will just be called Sully Baseball. It's not going to be called Sully Baseball Weekly. It's not going to be called Sully Baseball Daily. It's just going to be called Sully Baseball. I'm going to rechristen it. And, you know, it's going to be on the same feed. You don't need to resubscribe. It's going to be on the same feed. So, there you have it. Um, and I'm, it's going to be a segment. I'm going to be covering the other teams that I haven't covered. I've done the Red Sox. I've done the Giants. I've done the Yankees. I've done the Braves. And I've done the A's. So, I got this is the sixth one I'm going to do. And it's going to be another team that I'm probably going to talk about a bunch. And the Mets. Meet the Mets greet the Mets, come on out and, what, eat the Mets? I don't know how the rest of it goes. I know that the original song is bring the kiddies, bring the wife, guaranteed to have the time of your life, because the Mets are gonna knock a da da knocking those home runs over the wall, east side, west side, everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets of New York Town, of New York Town. I remember back uh, when I was starting the podcast, I was a guest on someone else's podcast. I have the slightest, I can't remember whose show it was. I've been asked to be on shows from time to time, and there you go. Um, and on this podcast, for whatever reason, I started singing the Meet the Mets, Greet the Mets song. Um, and, and it was making the host laugh really hard, but my wife came out super pissed at me because I was doing it, I was standing on my, my porch in South Pasadena and she said, you're singing so loud the neighbors are looking at us. I'm thinking, you know, of all the things that a neighbor can complain about, having a dude singing Meet the Mets, Greet the Mets, I think would fall really low on the annoying neighbor level. But then again, maybe that's just me. Um, the Mets have had a lot of heartbreak. And there's a certain element about being a Met fan 
There's a certain element about being a Met fan that says, I'm going to embrace sometimes losing, sometimes winning, when you have the option of rooting for the team whose aura is they win all the time. I always think that's character building. There's something about that that I admire. I'm not one of these people who think that, you know, there are good Yankee fans out there. There are very good Yankee fans out there. There are Yankee fans who just are dynamic Yankee fans who are, who are really great quality baseball fans. I'm not one of these people who like, you know, you're evil if you're a Yankee fan or whatever crap that is. No. Just, you know, there are a bunch of bandwagon Yankee fans. Some of them are abandoning the bandwagon right now and heading over to the Mets because the Mets are better than the Yankees. The Mets won the pennant in 2015. The Yankees were a wild-card team who couldn't score a run at home. The Mets were a wild-card team last year who couldn't score a run at home. But the Mets were, the Yankees were sitting at home, you know, playing canasta. So it's, the Mets are in better shape right now. I think that right now I'm leaning to pick the Mets to win the National League East. I am not picking the Yankees. This has nothing to do with animosity. It's just... I think the Mets are going to be a 90-some-odd win team. And I think the Yankees are not. I think the Yankees are going to have a winning record, but I, I don't see them making the postseason. So this is the ebbs and flows of Metdom. But remember also, the Mets have won as many world championships as the Marlins, too. They won one of the most stunning World Series in the history of baseball, 1969, when they went from being horrible every year of their existence, to suddenly not only making the postseason, getting to the World Series, but defeating an Orioles team that was really one of the best teams on paper of that decade. And then, of course, there was 86, which is probably better remembered as a championship won, or championship lost by the Red Sox than one won by the Mets. But that team is just so beloved by everyone in, in Metdom, in, in all of Metland, that, you know, they just, for, for young fans, they must roll their eyes saying, all right, shut up, enough about 86. As a Red Sox fan, I've grown to accept 86 and realize it was part of the narrative that made 2004 so glorious. Also, because I'm a quality fan and not stupid, I don't blame Bill Buckner. I digress. The Mets have had those moments of success. They've also had moments of real bone-crushing failure. When you consider that the times they've lost in the postseason, you had 73 where they lost Game 7 of the World Series. You had 88 where they lost Game 7 of the National Championship Series. You had uh, in 1990. Eight, they lost. Uh, or they were they lost in the last few weeks of the season a chance to be one of the wild card teams. Uh, Nineteen ninety nine didn't go to Game Seven. It went to a, an amazing Game Six, extra innings, losing on a bases loaded walk. Um, Two thousand ended in Game Five, but in a crushing game where the Yankees rallied in the ninth. Um, obviously, there was the. Game 7 between the Cardinals and the Mets in 2006, ending with Carlos Beltran called third strike with the bases loaded. 
and then the big collapses in 2007 and 2008, and 2015, where they lost three games with blown saves, which meant they were they had the lead late in the game, in the ninth inning, in two of them. I mean, if they held the lead in the ninth inning in two of the games, they have a lead going to Game 6 of the World Series. Instead, they lose two crushing games at home and a wild, weird Game 1. They included a game-tying home run in the ninth. And, of course, last year they lose a game at home, 3 nothing, but it was no score going to the ninth. And Gillespie hits a game-winning homer. Those are all kick-to-the-groin losses. And, you know, it's difficult to try to figure out which one of the teams is the one that Met fans would have wished had won. The whole idea of the team that should have won isn't just how close the team get, but the year where everything would have worked the cast, what it would have meant for the history of the franchise, what it would have meant for the identity of the fans, what it would have meant for the players on the team. And I've boiled it down. All right, here are the teams I've boiled it down to. And I'm going to tell you the one that I picked last. I'm sure a lot of Met fans won't agree with me, but you'll have to listen to my reasoning because I really think I'm right. The 73 team the you got to believe team. If they had won the World Series, where they're in last place very deep in this season, upset the Reds, and took the Mighty A's to Game 7 of the World Series, it would have been another championship for Tom Seaver. It would have been a championship for Yogi Berra as a manager, which he never got one as a manager, and would have been able to steal a Yankee legend and have his great moment in the sun there. It would have meant that even though Willie Mays was, uh, he was so tired and so broken down, but he would have ended his career a world champion, and there's something to be said about that. And there's also some other players, especially, you know, Rusty Staub would have been a world champion Met. I think there's something to be said about that. I think there's something to be said about having that team win. Another team that would have been really special, and it's strange that this team would have been really special, but I think it was kind of the circumstance of how October unfolded. But the team in 1999, when I had Liam McEnany on the comedian, wonderful comedian and huge Met fan, he said to me once, the wrong team won the pennant. When the Mets won the pennant in 2000, he said the wrong team won. The year before should have been the team that won. And... Part of the reason is, is that was the first team to make it back to the postseason in a long time. And they won on the walk-off home run by Todd Pratt to win the division series. And they faced their nemesis, the Braves. The Mets were talented, but not as good as the Braves. They couldn't beat the Braves. And they fell down 3 nothing, in three tight, tightly contested games. And it just looked like the Braves had their number. And the Mets scratched and clawed to a game four victory. I said, okay, extended it. And then in the rain, in game five, an extra inning game where the Braves had the lead and were three outs away from winning the pennant. And the Mets put on a wonderful rally capped by the Grand Slam single 
by Robin Ventura, making people think, wait a minute, we were down 3 nothing." Then you get to game six, and Al Leiter got shelled, and it was an embarrassment. But then the Mets rallied, and Mike Piazza homered. And Piazza was becoming more and more of a New York star. And he homered and tied the game and sent the game into extra innings. And the, the Mets at one point were three outs away from forcing game seven. And then the Braves rallied and tied it and sent it to the bottom of whatever it was, the 11th, the 12th, whatever the hell it was. And Kenny freaking Rogers walks Andrew Jones with the bases loaded. Just such a gut punch way to lose. It's a three ball, one strike count. If you throw a ball, they win the pennant. Just lob it down the middle of the plate. The worst thing that happens is he hits a walk-off grand slam. Then you tip your hat. But there are other things that could happen. He could pop up. He could ground out. Someone could make a dive and catch something. Instead, ball four. I remember being in a, the Yield Triple In bar in New York when that happened. And they just the, the place was electric the whole game. The possibility of a Subway series. And the idea that you'd be able to vanquish the Braves and take on the Yankees and try to slay all the insecurities in one October. If that team had done it, even though they had Benny on the team, even though they had some players who were not exactly popular on the team, like Kenny Rogers, and it would have been a wonderful thing for Bobby Valentine to say, yep, he won. He's smarter than everyone. Just ask him. That would have been an amazing moment. 06 was looked like it was turning into an amazing moment because you would have had Willie Randolph become one of the prince of the city, but you also had the emergence of David Wright and also Beltran and Delgado. If Delgado and Bel Delgado would have been a New York sports legend if he had helped them win. And Billy Wagner would have been, people would be talking about him as a, as a Hall of Famer. Because the one thing his resume lacks is that world championship moment as a closer. Not that it was his fault. But if he had that, along with the career he had, people would be saying, yeah, he could be a Cooperstown-bound closer. And no fault of his own. And it would have been an amazing rally. And Beltran, it must kill Met fans every time Beltran is referred to as one of the great postseason performers of all time. Like, oh yeah, I remember him standing there with his bat on the shoulder. You know, an extra base hit, the Mets would have won, and they would have clobbered the Tigers. And it would have been a chance to have one more championship in Shea and take the reins of the city from the Yankees. Instead, called third strike. In fact, the next two years, the collapse in 2007, the epic collapse, the Mets made the playoffs that year. I think they were going to win the freaking pennant. But to collapse the way they did, where nothing went right and everyone was panicking, and the Phillies of all teams was the one that came out and win the division. And they have a similar collapse the next year. The thing about those years, 06, 07, and 08, similar to what's happening now, would have been a chance to steal the city. The Mets stole the city from the Yankees in 69. It was a, the, the, the Mets were 
the team of New York. The same thing in the mid-80s. They were the cool team of New York, not the Yankees. And they were on the verge of doing it again. And they blew it. And in the end, couldn't even make the postseason in 07 and 08 and wound up crashing and burning for years. And a similar thing in 2015, when they made it to the World Series in a year where the Yankees were flailing, and they made they were the wild card team, but they were like, you know, in a four-year stretch, they made one wild card game while the Mets were a pennant winner. It was a chance to steal the city. And if they won in 2015, I'm sorry. There's no talk of the Yankees at this point. But instead, there's the crushing loss. But I'm going to pick a team for the Mets team that should have won. That may surprise you. Because it surprised me when I said, yeah, this is the team. And that is 1988. Let me explain why. It sounds like a strange year to pick. It sounds like a really strange year to pick because, wait a minute, 88? They won in 86. I said, yeah, yeah, with the 86 championship, 88, if they had won, and they would have if they had gotten past the Dodgers, would have been a real important championship for the Mets for a bunch of reasons. Hear me out. Yes, you had the same cast of characters for the most part. You had Mookie, you had Lenny. You had Strawberry, you had Doc, you had Ron Darling, you had Sid Fernandez. Uh, Bobby Ojeda was on the team, but he cut the tip of his finger off, you know, trimming his hedges. Gary Carter was still there. Keith Hernandez was still there. Wally Backman was still there. Howard Johnson was still there. You know, there was still, you know, m- most of the cast was there. There were some key players who were gone. Kevin Mitchell wasn't there anymore. Jesse Orozco wasn't there anymore. Ray Knight was not there anymore. Rafael Santana was not there anymore. There were some people who were gone. Randy Myers was a new face there. David Cohn was a new face there. Greg Jeffries was a new face there. Kevin McReynolds was a new face there. Now, why would it have been so important for the Mets to win the World Series in 1988? Why would that have made such a dent and such a sense of, well, a sense of identity changing in the history of the franchise. I'll tell you why. I hinted at it earlier. The Mets won the 1986 World Series, but people remember that as a World Series that the Red Sox coughed up more than a championship earned by a really powerful, dynamic Met team. To have a championship where they won, as like, no, we won this. We won this. We're the champs. We're the best team. It isn't that another team lost, it's that we won it. But another thing about the 86 Mets, if there's anything that is used as a cliche about that team, if there's any term that is a cliche, of that team. It's this. Underachiever. How many times have the Mets been called underachieving 
in the 80s. How many times have people looked at the careers of Strawberry and Gooden and not talk about the greatness that they had in the mid-80s and the redemption they had with the Yankees in the mid-90s, but talk about wasted talent, unfulfilled potential. Should have been a dynasty. Instead, they won one World Series, and that more people remember the team that lost than the team that won. Instead, to say, no, this team, if you win multiple championships, you don't have to answer to anybody. The Red Sox of the 2000s won multiple championships. The Giants of this decade have won multiple championships. The Tony La Russa Cardinals won multiple championships. They don't have to answer to anybody. Winning just one title hangs like a cloud over the Bobby Cox Braves and the 86 Mets and the La Russa A's. The fact that those teams only won one and even to a lesser degree, the Phillies of the late 2000s, early 2010s. If you win that second one, no one could say a word about you. You won multiple titles. No one could look at the Mets and say anything resembling underachievement. They would be looked upon as the team of the 1980s. Only one franchise won multiple titles in the 1980s multiple world championships, and they were the Dodgers. And the 1981 Dodgers were very, only like a handful of players were still there in 1988. And if the Mets had won in 88, well then the only team that won multiple titles in the 80s would have been the Mets. They would have owned a decade that the Yankees couldn't win a championship and the Mets won multiple titles. And there's another factor to keep in mind. What happened the very next year, 1989? 1989, they really started to break the team apart. Now, some of it was based upon age. Keith Hernandez and some of the other players were gone from age. But they started trading away players who were part of the fabric of 86, part of the character of 86. Now, one player who was traded away was Wally Backman, a spark plug and a beloved player of 86, to make room for Greg Jeffries. Now, Jeffries was supposed to be the big, huge star, the big, huge new star of all of New York. He and David Cohn were the new faces on that Met team. And if they had won a championship, there you go. World championship for them, nothing to answer for, for as, as Mets. Same with Randy Myers. But they started making other moves. Lenny Dykstra and Roger McDowell were traded in the disastrous trade for Juan Samuel. Mookie Wilson was traded away for Jeff Musselman. Rick Aguilera, who is a valuable versatile pitcher on those teams, along with a couple other young pitchers, including Kevin Tappany, were traded in the deal that brought Frank Viola over. Now, Viola had a couple good years with the Mets, to be sure, but they started picking the team apart to the point that by the end of the 89 season, it felt different. 
they didn't feel like the Mets anymore. By 1990, a team that was a contender but couldn't get past the uh, couldn't get past the Pittsburgh Pirates felt there was not the swagger of the team. They didn't feel like the Mets. And by 1991, it was over and they were falling apart. In 1992 and 1993, they were a disaster. And I can't help but wonder if the team had won another title, if they could think, do you know what, we can't break this team up. We can't break up the Dykstras and the Mookie Wilsons. We can't start to break apart this team because they win. They're the team of New York. They're the team of the decade. And maybe the disaster that turned into the Mets of the 1990s would have been averted if the Mets kept the team together and, you know, made changes piece by piece, but didn't tear the team apart. Maybe the drugs that became the bane of Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden's existence, maybe those couldn't be averted. Maybe there would have been a disaster. Maybe it would have imploded. But the Mets had an opportunity to not only have a dynasty on their hands, but also what else happened in 89, 90, 91, and 92? Do you know what else happened then? The Yankees collapsed. The Yankees were no longer even a winning team. They became one of the worst teams in baseball. And if the Mets were going to the postseason year after year with homegrown players beloved by the fans, beloved by the team, while the Yankees were wallowing in their own filth, it would have maybe pushed the Mets' dominance in terms of fandom into the new decade. Instead, what happened? When I moved to New York City, especially in 91, 92, and 93, or 91, 92 especially, the Mets and the Yankees were terrible. Baseball in New York was terrible because both teams stunk. There was no team of New York. There were more Blue Jay fans because of all the Dominican people living in New York City and the Blue Jays were the team of the Dominican Republic because they had so many Dominican players on the damn team. So what would have happened? Another title, plus titles for Cohn and Jeffries and Myers. There would have been the team of the decade and maybe they wouldn't have been broken up. And the bringing up the concept of disappointment with the Mets of the 1980s would have been impossible. So with all the teams and all the players, whether it's Wright or Piazza, Johan Santana, Al Leiter, all these people put on many, many years, Edgardo, Alfonso, all these people played many years with the Mets who didn't win a title with the Mets. You would think I would have picked a team with them. Instead, I'm wanting to add on to Gooden and Strawberry and Hernandez and Carter and Backman and all of them because of what it meant and what it could have meant for the very identity of the team. So, you may not agree with me, but the 1988 Mets, that's the team that should have won.
So if you want me to cover your team as we go to a weekly podcast, shoot me uh, a tweet on Twitter at Sully Baseball and say, this is my team, this is the one for you. I've got some great suggestions for the Reds, for the Dodgers. Uh, it's really cool. So I want to know who you want me, if your team, and tell me why. I'm going to make the final decision because I'm Sully. But I'd like to hear what you think. Hey, this podcast is going a little bit long. Maybe it's just me wanting to extend the daily podcast a little bit longer. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, Reddit, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Tomorrow's the last one. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. The second to last one on April 1st, 2017. This is no joke. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.